So again, I want to say good morning to my brothers and sisters in the faith, both here and any who are joining with us online. I hope that each one of you is well and that you find your hearts prepared for the working of God and that God will speak clearly through his scriptures this morning. Besides being the Lord's Day, today is also Father's Day, a day to acknowledge and celebrate the faithful work of these men charged by God with both the joy and the responsibility of leading our families. For a while this week, I had the blessing of my mother-in-law coming up and watching our, our children and sending Sherry and I away for a couple nights to spend some time in Orange Jasper to celebrate our anniversary. And it was interesting spending time away from the children, how much of your time is spent thinking about the children and how much it comes up again and again. Be like, Oh, you'd see a kid pass you on the street. Oh, that looks like our kid. Or you'd hear a kid losing their marbles over something be like, man, I'm glad that's not our kid. Or... <laughs> The, the blessing of being a parent is amazing, but also the incredible work and the responsibility of being a parent is amazing as well. I also want to acknowledge that Father's Day can also be a difficult day as well. I know that we have a close friend of ours who lost her father just this week. And so today is an incredibly hard day for her. Some haven't known their father or haven't had the blessing of having a godly father. Others have known such a father, a good and righteous and godly father, but he has been called home by the Lord. And even for some of our fathers today it can be difficult. Perhaps fatherhood hasn't gone the way that you expected or for some of us, the dreams of fatherhood have gone yet unfulfilled. But wherever you fall on the spectrum this Father's Day, I hope that all of us would be able to join together in worshiping our Heavenly Father. He is the paradigm upon which good and true fatherhood is modeled. And I know oftentimes we have this tendency to shift our our experiences with our earthly fathers onto God rather than the other way around. So take care that you are not judging our heavenly father by the lens of our earthly father, but that we might place our earthly fathers up against the perfect example of our heavenly father. I've been blessed with the fact that I have two immediate fathers in my life. I had a biological father, David, who was an incredible man of God who was taken from me when I was a boy. He passed away just before I turned nine. And then I had my stepdad, Scott, who did such an amazing job stepping into that fatherhood role. And for both of these, I am eternally grateful and for their example in the faith. And even as Jim has mentioned, there are many spiritual fathers that many of us have had the opportunity to, to engage with. I know that for many of us, Jim would be one of those. And so we are thankful for our spiritual fathers as well, our mentors in the faith. 
Last week, we celebrated the faithfulness that we here at Elk Point Baptist Church have received from our Lord in 2021 and 2022, and the decades of faithfulness in Jim's ministry and Deborah's ministry. And as we continue our study in the Hall of Fame of Faith this morning from Hebrews, I want us to remember that this Hall of Fame, as found here in Scripture, can act for us as a template, allowing us to continue to build into our lives an intentional recognition of God's faithfulness and the characteristics of such faithfulness in the brothers and sisters around us that we should emulate. This applies to our fathers and our mothers, our spiritual mentors, and our brothers and sisters here in this room and of good and faithful and godly men and women throughout the ages of history. This Hall of Fame of Faith is of a different degree because it is found in Scripture, but that is not to say that we can't continue to build into our lives an intentional recognition of those who God has sent before us. And thinking of how this is Father's Day, I think it's interesting that By God's sovereign and guiding hand, we move on in our series this morning to a man whose story of faith conspicuously starts with the faith of his parents, that being Moses. Would you please join with me in prayer, and then we'll read this morning's passage from Hebrews 11, starting in verse 23. Let's pray. Our God, you have blessed us You have granted us the permission to call you Father. And rightly we should, for you are the one that has created us. You are the one that we depend on for existence. And Lord, as we spend time in your word, may we recognize that these are your words spoken to your children, that we might know you. Lord, may we hang on your every word. May we judge our own hearts and our own lives and the things that we interact with on a day-to-day basis by your word, following your example, learning from what you have taught us. And Lord, as you have held up these men and women in this hall of fame of faith, we ask that you would strengthen us in our faith, and that you would turn our eyes towards your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord God, as God the Father, we recognize the sacrifice that you made when you sent your only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for the gift of your Word and the gift of your church. And we pray that as we gather in worship and as we dive into your word, may we find it incredibly sufficient. May we be encouraged, may we be exhorted, and may we be called into greater likeness of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 23. I'm going through to verse 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, 
was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is God's word. Moses' story is about as big and broad as they come in Scripture. And his life took place in three major 40-year installments. His first 40 years were largely spent in luxury, being raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The next 40 were spent in exile, in Midian, and then coming to Egypt to call God's people out. And then the final 40 spent wandering in Israel during exile in the wilderness. Today's look engages with the first two-thirds of his life, until he was about 80 years old. But before he'd even had a chance to grow and become the man that God had intended, Moses faced his first challenge, which was survival. Next is one we can hear that when Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Israel was growing too quickly in Egypt for the liking of the Egyptians, so they were first enslaved, and eventually the command was given, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And that's where our story picks up. The first act of faith that shaped Moses' life was not his own, but his parents'. Because by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Being a parent has always been and will always be an act of faith. As we look around our world today, we know and we look and go, why would we bring a child into this world? This world is not a healthy and safe place to raise a child. So if we are to do it and to do it well, we must do so in faith. Childbearing has always been one of the most dangerous tasks a woman will ever face. And that is a part of the curse of the fall. So even in just having a child, there is an act of faith, trusting that God will bring the mother through, and bring the child through. And then Moses' parents faces this even greater immediate threat when Moses was born safely. There's this threat of an Israelite uprising, and Pharaoh started by trying to sneakily kill off the Israelite children, and when subtlety did not work, he proclaimed that every son of the Hebrews would be thrown into the Nile. And in this moment... Amram and Jochebed, Moses' mother and father, 
had the choice before them of obeying the leader of one of the greatest superpowers ever to exist on this earth and defying him for the sake of the life of their son. In their choice and in their faithfulness, Amram and Jochebed set the course for Moses' entire life. I find it fitting that on Father's Day we get this explicit nod to the faithfulness of both Moses' parents in his story. While we as parents often will not be seeking recognition or acknowledgement in the lives of our children, it's helpful to note that Scripture gives a myriad of examples of the effects of faithful parenting in the face of the world's evils. None of us are guaranteed faithful children. Moses' parents were not guaranteed that Moses would become who he was. But we are faithful in the task we have been given as parents, trusting that God will do the rest. Jim brought up a great example of the sower and the seed. Just as myself and Jim as preachers within this church and the others who have filled this pulpit, we are relatively insignificant in the story. We just come and bring the word and trust that God's word would be the seed in the hearts of the people who would hear it and that his Holy Spirit would work to grow that seed. We as parents often find ourselves in a similar position where we hold a position and a responsibility, but ultimately we have to trust that God by his word would grow our children, would give our children their next breath, and that ultimately his Holy Spirit would produce fruit in their lives. And that is an incredibly nerve-wracking place to be because it does require faith. Something that we hope for, but something that we do not see. So Moses' story begins in the faith of his parents. But then Moses grows up, and there comes a tipping point where his faith had to become his own. All of you will know that I started out here at the church working in the kind of family ministries, children and youth. And one of the questions that I've seen in youth ministry and is thrown around on a regular basis doesn't matter whether it has been here or in Meadow Lake or in Calgary or Medicine Now, wherever I've gone, I've seen this question. Why are our students graduating and then leaving the church? It's often used as an indictment of youth ministry philosophies or youth pastors or even the church as a whole. These students, they grow up and they leave the faith. But I think the answer is both deep and simple. That while our students are at home, they are considered children. They are wards of their parents, and they are generally not trusted with the responsibilities of an adult. They're not trusted to vote. They're not trusted to buy alcohol. They're not trusted for military service. And unfortunately, sometimes we find that they're also not trusted within the church. They are under someone else's roof. But then, 
at 18, they step out on their own and they leave the nest and there's this crisis point. Who will they be? I know that, and rightly so, most Christian parents have a, while you're in my home, you come to church with the family rule. But if a young person is not allowed to stand on their own two feet before leaving the home, when they do leave the home, it's like tossing a toddler into a swimming pool and telling them to swim. They either figure it out or they drown. And many of our students have the same experience. They, when they turn 18, we chuck them in the pool and hope to see them swim. I'm not advocating that we relax our requirements for those living with us to attend church. I think that such leadership is a good and godly thing. What I am advocating for is that we allow and encourage our young people and everyone in our family to develop, engage in, and act out their faith independently of their immediate family unit before they are left out on their own. And that is something that I can confidently say we as a church have worked on. I am so encouraged to see that our soundboard is currently staffed by two people who have yet to graduate and are engaged in the ministries of the church. I'm encouraged when I look around during our potlucks and I see the kitchens being staffed not only by the ladies of the church, but by the young women of the church. I'm encouraged when I see the lawn growing outside and then I see young men of the church coming and helping to mow the lawn around the church. Even as we occasionally have the opportunity to see our young people come and help and lead in worship, as we engage in ministry and we see these young people engage in ministry, we see them growing and building their own faith, thus helping to prepare them. And it's interesting to me that Moses' life, we don't hear much about his life in Pharaoh's palace. We don't hear of his great faithfulness as he grows in his first 40 years or so. But all of a sudden there comes this crisis moment where he is faced in Egypt with this crisis of faith. And perhaps that can be an encouragement to some of us who have not seen our children follow after the Lord. I'm sure Moses' parents looking at him growing up in Pharaoh's palace were thankful that he was alive, but they would have been greatly concerned to see him being fed on a steady diet of pagan ritual and belief and growing up being trained as one of Pharaoh's own. So perhaps we can be encouraged that God may still be at work in those of our children who do not yet know him. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
The greater portion of this account can be found in Exodus 2 and also in Stephen's speech in Acts 7. It says in Acts 7, when he was 40 years old, that is when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? You want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And again, in Exodus 2, we have this moment where when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens. It is quite unlikely that Moses had made it to 40 years old, totally unaware of the plight of Israel. But in a crystallizing moment of clarity, it hit him. These are my people, not the Egyptians. And in that moment, he had a decision to make. Who am I? Am I Moses, adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, or Moses, son of Amram and Jochebed of Israel? And Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. All of the luxuries of Egypt were traded for the sake of faith. I want to be clear with you this morning, brothers and sisters, there is no roses, sunshine, and everything will work out fine promise for us as believers in this life. Sometimes things will work out and you will see God's hand of blessing. And sometimes the hand of God will appear to be utterly against you. And each of us, I can guarantee this, each of us will come to face these make or break moments. And oftentimes we will face these moments more often than we'd like in the face of suffering and hardship. And it will almost always be the wrong way that appears to be the easier way out. Matthew 7, our Savior says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In his make-or-break moment, Moses chose the narrow way. He chose the way that our author calls the reproach of Christ over all of the riches of Egypt. And that is not because the riches of Egypt had no appeal to him. Moses was human. Moses had lived his first 40 years in the lap of luxury. So those riches would have appealed to him greatly as a human. But he recognized that the reward that came with enduring the reproach of Christ was infinitely of more worth than the suffering that he would have to endure. Obviously, as we discuss Moses and all of these members of the Hall of Fame, we are looking for how we can be informed in regards to the life of faith. How can we pursue the assurance of things hoped for? 
and the conviction of things not seen. And I've spent a lot of time trying to remind us that as we've considered the nature of the Christian faith, faith is so much more than just a blind leap. Moses didn't just blindly choose to throw in his lot with the Israelites. He made a considered decision. Moses went out, saw his people, and considered. He weighed his option and determined that the reproach of Christ was greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And it absolutely must be the same with us. It is a right criticism that some within Christendom have adopted the kind of faith that relies almost entirely on emotions. I feel like God said. I feel like God wants. I feel like God is. Now, don't get me wrong. God has created us to be beings of both emotion and reason. But you need only to look to Scripture for the trustworthiness of human emotion. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Another Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God has told us what he has said. He has told us what he wants. He has told us what he is. And all of that is found in Scripture. We do not need another word. But that is a message for another day. The point here is that our faith is not one of blind emotion. Just as Abraham's choice in the near sacrifice of Isaac was reasoned and he had worked it through and come up with his understanding of how God might be faithful to his promises even while taking away the source of that promise, so too did Moses consider his choice. When Moses saw what was happening to his people, he determined to do something about it. Not simply because what was happening to Israel was wrong, but because he looked the reward that attended the reproach of Christ. There's another element within Christian circles that would elevate this social justice aspect of what Moses did. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Assumption here is that Moses proved his righteousness and his faithfulness by his action on behalf of the oppressed. I heard a Christian brother put it this way. When you end up with this hyperfixation on social justice and things of that ilk, there's this risk that we reverse who we are in Christ and what we are called to do. The gospel puts our identity in Christ first. And on that basis, we are called to live justly. By contrast, reversing the order means you must do something in order to be in Christ. And that is not the gospel. 
Moses didn't see the affliction of Israel and act, therefore justifying himself before God and proving himself faithful. At the center of his action was his consideration of the Lord. At the center of his action on behalf of this oppressed man was not necessarily the victim, but God. And even in our good actions, even in our social justice, we need to be careful that we are not idolizing the very works that we are called to do as Christians. If you are a Christian, you will do good works. But doing good works will not make you a Christian. If you are a Christian, you will focus on God and you will seek to please him. And in seeking to please him, he will give you ways to care for those who are oppressed. Moses acted on the part of the one who was oppressed, and he did so because of his faith. Honestly, Moses could easily and rightly be used as the poster child for faith in action, and I think that's why we only get kind of the first two-thirds of his life, the first 80 years in this passage this morning, because ultimately when it came time for the exodus, when Israel leaves Egypt, you have the parting of the Red Sea. You have Moses' encounter with God on Sinai. You have the pillars of cloud and flame leading the people. At that point, Moses' faith very clearly became sight. There was an outright, God is standing in front of me and telling me what to do. But in these first two-thirds, there is much more faith required. For Moses to display the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And perhaps nowhere is such faith more obvious than in the institution of the Passover. Verse 28 of our passage, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. The institution of the Passover is found in Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old, and you shall keep it until the 14th day this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover." There was no precedent for Moses to follow here. There was nothing about this command that made human sense. The ridicule that must have erupted from the Egyptians, from the other enslaved peoples, and even from the unfaithful Hebrew people, painting your doors with blood, what is wrong with you? But yet, in this moment, in this action, 
that was grounded in an absolutely unshakable conviction in the words of Yahweh, Israel began to be freed. In their obedience, in Moses' obedience in instituting the Passover, we have one of the clearest examples of the gospel throughout the Old Testament. So much so that Christ is regularly referred to as the Lamb and even the Passover Lamb. 1 Corinthians 5.7 says outright, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Brothers and sisters, besides growing in our understanding of faith, the other goal in this hall of fame is that our eyes would be turned towards Christ. That in all of these men and women's stories, that we would be turned towards our Savior, towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And there's no question for us this morning where we have been pointed towards Christ. It is clear that just as the Lamb's blood stood as protection over the houses of Israel, so too does the blood of Christ protect his people from the righteous wrath of God. If Israel had not had the blood, no matter how good, no matter how faithful they were, they surely would have been afflicted just as the Egyptians were. And no matter how righteous you or I think we are, without the blood of Christ, we stand condemned with the rest of the world. So let us, along with Moses, consider the reproach of Christ to be of greater value than anything that this world has to offer. Even as we begin to close, would you hear God's word speaking to you in 1 Peter 4? If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit and glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Moses saw what God was about. Moses chose the affliction of Christ over the wealth of Egypt. He entrusted his soul to a faithful creator while doing good. And Moses defended his brother and was chased from Egypt for it and spent years in exile and found another comfortable life. And then 40 years later, God called him back, and by faith, Moses re-entered probably the most dangerous place in the world for him, and didn't enter it with his tail between his leg, but entered it coming before Pharaoh and demanding that God's people would be set free. And he did so in faith that God would prove himself faithful yet again. And we, as God's people, can trust in God's promises, trust that he will be faithful, 
and we can grow in our own faith as we see God acting and fulfilling his promises. Would you pray with me, brothers and sisters? Our God and our Heavenly Father, you have given us these examples of men and women of the faith that we might grow in our own faith and that we might be turned towards Christ. Lord, may we, as Moses did, be willing to suffer the scorn and condemnation of the world that we might receive the affliction of Christ with our eyes turned towards the reward. Your very son was looking towards what was coming as he gave his life on the cross. Moses was looking to you even as he gave up his life in Egypt. So Lord, may we look to you as we engage with our world. May we look to you as we face the crisis moments of our faith where we have the opportunity to take the easy road or the faithful road, may we look to you and consider the incredible wealth, the incredible value of the reward that you have laid before us. And may that help to motivate us to remain obedient to you. May our love for you outweigh our love for the things of this world. May the things of this world turn to ashes in our mouth that we might totally and completely desire you. God, our world is against you. We see that clearly day in and day out. Things that are good are condemned as being evil and things that are evil are being celebrated as good even today. And Lord, may we be willing to call good good and evil evil. And may we do so winsomely and in love, but boldly and with clarity as to your truth knowing that your truth will offend those who hear it who do not know you, and even some who do know you. Lord, work in our hearts. By your Holy Spirit, grant us faith. We thank you that faith is a gift, for we cannot create it on our own. Grant us faith that would see us rely on you for all things. Lord, you are gracious and you are good. You have provided for us and you have promised us that you will not force us to go through anything that we are incapable of facing with your help. And when we face things that are beyond our ability to handle, may we turn and run headlong to you and call upon you for your help. May we be a people of faith. Pray these things in Jesus' name.